Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. Yeah, the last week of January. And, uh, well, we got plenty to talk about. Some things left over from last week, but some new things coming up this week. We'll be talking with uh, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about the weather to close out the month of January and get our first look into February. President of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross, will join us. Lots to talk about with Kevin. He's just back from an international trip, a trade mission with the National uh, Grains Council, and we'll talk with him about that, plus the WOTUS ruling, plus now a court ruling on small refinery exemptions. This could be significant for the ethanol industry, the biofuels industry as we move forward, and the EPA makes these decisions in the future. We'll talk about that with Kevin Ross. And we're still talking about uh, the new WOTUS rule. Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council will join us a little bit later on with more reaction to the new WOTUS rule and what lies ahead, legal challenges and everything for that moving forward. But we're going to start things off with Sarah Wyant from uh, AgriPulse, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. I guess uh, we look at, what, tomorrow for the signing of USMCA finally? Yeah, Mike, good morning. It sounds like the president's going to have a busy week. Of course, impeachment going on in the background is keeping him tweeting and uh, focused on a lot of other things outside of trade, but it does look like it'll be uh, Tuesday or Wednesday is what we're actually hearing for signing uh, USMCA. And then, of course, it goes to Canada, and uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau there said he plans to unveil the implementing bill on Wednesday. So it's moving in the right direction, and hopefully we'll have some final uh, language that everybody can hang their hats on and get trading again. Yeah. And speaking of trade, it looks like the administration really turning its attention now to Europe for a, a possible trade deal. Yes. And, you know, the uh, conversation between President Trump and the EU leaders seem to be pretty positive. But we all know, Mike, that there's some very large barriers. Initially, they said that they would not deal with us on agriculture at all. I talked to some people on background last week at the American Farm Bureau Federation convention that were representing the EU, and they said they were strong resistance to including anything with ag. But as you've seen, the president has threatened tariffs again over there, and there's been some uh, backing off of some of that position. Now, whether or not it will advance uh, in a way that is really very meaningful for our ag sector, we don't know. Um, I'm at the International Dairy Foods Association meeting in Scottsdale today, and Greg Dowd is speaking tomorrow, Ambassador Greg Dowd. So we'll see if he has anything new to say on what might happen with the EU. Uh, it's long overdue, but it kind of reminds me of when we used to call these agreements, you know, the one before WTO we had the, the GATT, where the mm-hmm. people used to laugh and call it the general agreement to talk and talk. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a heavy lift with Europe because of the history and the baggage and the sharp differences on some key issues, whether it's biotech or hormones or whatever it may be. So this one may, of all the trade deals we've been talking about, I've always thought this would be the the toughest. So we'll see what they can come up with. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, there's always seeming like something going on on the hemp front, and uh, there'll be some perhaps some more movement on that this week. 
Absolutely. So Tuesday is the deadline for comments again on the proposed hemp rule. As you might have seen, there's a lot of people who are very concerned with what USDA came out with. They want a longer time for conversion from these pilot programs. They, uh, one of the concerns is the THC level, what's allowable. People would like that to be higher. Uh, there's just a long list of concerns that people have weighed in with already. So I don't think we're going to see a final rule out of the box anytime soon, but at least people still have a little bit more time to comment if they want to weigh in with how they think the proposed rule should be changed. And as I mentioned, we'll be talking about this later with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers. But we have a court ruling on how EPA has been granting these small refinery exemptions. And uh, this is uh, this could have some bearing on how future decisions are made and something that uh, the biofuels industry has been calling for. That's why they filed the, these, this legal action. And uh, these rulings, this ruling, it seems to be in the favor of the biofuels industry. Absolutely, Mike. Late Friday, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit ruled that uh, in favor of this coalition of biofuels groups that you mentioned and National Farmers Union who had challenged the exemptions that were granted for small refineries. It impacts three that were granted these exemptions and uh, will certainly be something that I'm sure EPA is going to have to look at very carefully in any future announcements that they might make. And another uh, big item to watch in the courts... A federal district uh, court in Minnesota will be holding a hearing on the government's motion to dismiss a lawsuit brought by labor advocates against a USDA rule eliminating line speed limits in pork slaughterhouses. So that'll be something we'll be watching as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, so many of these industries would like to accept these more modern techniques, uh, but there's a lot of pushback from the labor forces that are involved as well. So, uh, the courts are going to be involved on this. Uh, you mentioned WOTUS that you'll be talking about, certainly excitement about the WOTUS rule, but uh, it's going to be challenged in the courts as well. Yeah, it seems like so any any decision of any consequence at all winds up in the courts, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why you can't get too enthused about uh, some of these directional uh, rulings by the administration. But at the same time, we have to also realize that the Trump administration has appointed a lot of new judges to the court. Mm-hmm. And so the mix of judicial decisions is a lot different than it was uh, even five years ago. Yeah, and I think that'll be interesting to watch right now with this WOTUS uh, rule, uh, because it has it'll have to go through the courts. But um, it shows how long a process this is to get this done and to get it moved but it, it looks like and I, I keep saying this because it, it, it stands out to me this is one of the rare times on WOTUS uh, that we have EPA and agriculture on the same side yes absolutely that's a big difference than what we've seen in the past and I think the other thing that we have to realize is that everything that you're watching in Washington right now it is a process but it's starting to move in a way especially on WOTUS that for farmers and ranchers, they can have a little bit more certainty about what they're doing in their fields and whether or not they're going to be challenged on a wet area. And, um, you know, what that means for their ability to produce in the future is is, uh, quite phenomenal. So we're all going to be watching to see how the process ends up, uh, but at least it's starting out in the right direction for a lot of growers. Time will tell, but it looks like the president is checking off several of the boxes that he needed to check off going into this election uh, when it comes to uh, his rural base. 
Yeah, you know, a lot of people were asking us about that at the Farm Bureau Convention, and when you talk to growers, they, uh, of course, were concerned about the impact of the trade war, but at the same time, they're saying at least he's tried, he's uh, kept his promises, and he's delivered on a lot of these regulatory issues, which impact the bottom line for growers more and more. Yeah, the RFS is still a big one, though, that they're wanting to see. Maybe the court will force that issue, as we'll be talking about a little bit later. Sarah, always good to talk with you. Enjoy Arizona. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Sarah Wyatt, editor, president, AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we check the weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us on AOA. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invegor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, last week of January, wow, the, the spring countdown is on as we, uh, we are about to tear that page off the calendar and move a little closer to spring. But what kind of weather to end up January? Let's talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, what can we expect this week? Mike, uh, this week is going to actually be uh, fairly uh, dry over most of the central part of the country. Uh, the storm track is uh, going to be over the southern plains and then into the delta. Uh, so that's, uh, I think, uh, overall a beneficial uh, type of trend. It is going to stay on the chilly side, uh, so uh, melting of snow is going to be pretty slow if there's anything uh, in that respect that happens. But as far as any big winter storms over uh, the areas that uh, we've got heavy snow cover, I don't think we're going to see that. And uh, that's going to pretty well hold true uh, throughout the first part of February also. The next uh, 10 days to two weeks are uh, still uh, looking uh, fairly dry as well. I was going to ask you, what's your first look at February? Anything uh, looming there? The... um, the pattern overall uh, is uh, shaping up to uh, have a ridge west and trough east type of configuration, but uh, it's a little bit different than uh, the the uh, trough influence that we had a year ago because everybody remembers what happened last year at the end of January into early February when this uh, polar vortex outbreak occurred. And we had this uh, big helping of uh, bitter cold air move out of uh, the far northern latitudes into uh, the Midwest, the northern plains, all the way to the east coast, and uh, pretty well set up all the way through the spring season and, uh, you know, caused all sorts of uh, influence on our uh, on, on our weather trend and uh you know help contribute to the very uh wet spring that we had but um this particular trough does not have that type of character to it it's not quite as cold and i don't think that it's going to be the the kind of uh powerful longer lasting uh type of feature uh so with that uh we've got 
you know, this uh, cooler to colder trend, but uh, not with a whole lot of moisture to it. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, scenario is um, still looking fairly uh, decent in terms of uh, travel and transportation and safety during next week over most of the northern and central parts of the country. And the uh, storm track focuses over the southern tier of states where there is going to be some problems with uh, flooding and some uh, travel concerns, particularly in the Mississippi Delta, because the river systems there are very full and it's not going to take very much in the way of precipitation to move that part of the country into a uh, problem with uh, high water and flooding. So obviously it's still early, but you've been kind of concerned that we might have a repeat of last spring, but maybe this is a, some good news here, a sign that maybe it, it won't be that wet. Well, I think there's going to be some uh, issue with flooding. Uh, there's no doubt about it when we think about uh, this this uh, coming spring. I mean, uh, the, uh, the water uh, content or the soil moisture content is is basically saturated. We're coming out of a year uh, in 2019 when there were uh, record amounts of precipitation for the 125-year period of record in the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Uh, Nebraska had its uh, third wettest year on record. And so there is uh, certainly a problem uh, that, that is going to develop with, with flooding to some extent. Now, the uh, the outlook from the uh, Corps of Engineers is for the upper Missouri River Basin, if I can use that as an example, uh, for the uh, runoff for this year to total about uh, 36.3 million acre feet. And that would be the ninth uh, highest amount of uh, runoff in uh, recorded history. But uh, it would not be nearly as bad as we as we saw this last year, because this past year in the Missouri Basin, the upper Missouri above Sioux City had uh, 60.9 million acre feet for the runoff total. That was the second highest, and it was exceeded only in uh, 2011 by just a little bit. Uh, so there's going to be uh, some runoff problems, some flooding concern, but right now it doesn't look quite as dire as we had this last year. And I think a reason for that, Mike, besides the fact that I don't think we're going to have this uh, polar vortex outbreak go on, is that the uh, Pacific Ocean uh, conditions are are not in an El Nino like we had this last year. And the, the takeaway from that is that there are not going to be the repeated impulses of energy coming through the uh, central and southern U.S. like we had a year ago to kind of um, drive uh, a lot of the uh, storm uh, situation that we had to put up with last year. So that um, does not, you know, just completely dry things out by any means, but it, it kind of takes a little bit of the edge off of some of the real catastrophic uh, situations that we had this last year. So the good news, it may not be as stormy and as as much precipitation this spring as last. But on the other hand, the bad news, it's already so wet that even less precipitation could still cause flooding. That's that's exactly the point that uh, that I've been making in, in some of my early discussions with producers. I 
Uh, I've had the chance to do that already uh, since the first of the year, even though we haven't had uh, a program because I've been gone from time to time and we've had uh, holidays. But uh, coming up is the Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. And boy, you know, that's going to be, uh, you know, ground central for a lot of this concern. Uh, one area of the, of the country, Mike, that I think is especially um, going to benefit from some of this trend is the central and eastern corn belt because we saw last year how things just got very wet in the latter part of the spring. I don't think we're going to see that this year like we did last year. Hmm. Well, that's some good news to kick off our week here. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, into January, I mean, planting in the Midwest still looks like a long ways away, but we know in the southern part of the country, uh, getting to be that time. Well, it is, and uh, and I think that uh, if there's going to be a a delay uh, factor, it is going to show up possibly in the Delta. Uh, I had the chance to be in the South uh, earlier this month. In fact, just about three weeks ago, and um, and as it happened, I I got to have a conversation with a uh, producer from Northern Mississippi. Uh, who has uh, farmland in the Delta, very close to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, he was uh, recounting some of the uh, difficulties with planting and with uh, harvest and everything that they went through in the Mid-South and in the Deep South last year. And uh, sure enough, uh, they've gotten some areas of heavy rain already uh, to start out the year 2020, and uh, the next week is going to put another probably inch and a half of rain into that delta and uh, southeastern U.S. Uh, region. So that's where uh, things are possibly going to uh, be, you know, be concerning already. So I think that they could have a little a, a slower start to uh, field work now over the. Uh, far southeastern U.S., I think things are going to uh, be pretty decent because there has been a uh, lesser amount of precipitation in Georgia and the Carolinas. So I think that they will have a better start uh, to the uh, farming season this year. But the Delta is certainly an area of concern. Of course, we're talking about planting. We know there are still farmers trying to get last year's harvesting done. Yes, there are. And uh I think that, uh, you know, we're going to have a, a scenario where, um, you know, you get corn harvested and uh, possibly uh, you get harvesting done and there's field work going on in uh, just a very short proximity, uh, a very near proximity to uh, where the harvesting is, is taking place. I, I think that any soybeans that did not get out of the field are probably gone. Uh, because they don't overwinter very well. I'm hoping that uh, corn could still be at least, uh, you know, somewhat decent as far as uh, that is concerned. Uh, in that respect, uh, the cornfield would turn out to be just, uh, you know, a, a real uh, natural corn crib uh, for the for the crop. And, uh, you know, that remains to be seen, but that certainly is is an issue, and we've seen the response with that uh, shortage, with that concern about the slow harvest in the northwestern Corn Belt. Uh, the cash basis has been very tight. In fact, it's been a positive basis in the northwestern Corn Belt because of that uh, supply concern. All right. Good to talk with you again, Bryce. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Great to get in touch. 
Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross, just back from a trade mission with the uh, U.S. Grains Council to Vietnam. We'll talk about that, talk about the new WOTUS rule, USMCA, China, and this uh, court ruling on small refinery exemptions. Lots to talk about with the NCGA president up next here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We have a lot to talk about with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association, just back from Southeast Asia. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, have you got the, the body clock adjusted yet? <laughs> I wish I did, Mike. Not, not quite yet. Yeah, it, it takes a little time, doesn't it? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to go with the breaking news. Uh, uh, the court ruling uh, against EPA's handling of some small refinery exemptions. Your reaction to that? Yeah, that's a, a, certainly a, a positive step, uh, winning or at least the initial uh, ruling on that case. Um, I think uh, uh, it certainly calls into question some of the uh, you know, some of the other waivers that, uh, have been, have been given out over the last few years. And so, um, we'll see where this, uh, you know, where this continues to go, but definitely a, uh, a big win, um, in this, you know, initial case. But it, it shows again why corn growers and the biofuels industry, uh, have been so concerned about this and saying that this process has not been fair. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we've been uh, very vocal on on this issue for uh, uh, for for quite some time, and uh, just another you know just another thing that I guess backs up our case uh, for for why we've been uh, you know upset about uh, the the small refinery exemptions and and how they've been handled. Uh, you know, there's been a um, discussion uh, you know on these and how uh, you know how some of them might be legal, some of them might not, but we certainly uh, in this in this case. Uh, and these three uh, judgments, um, you know, definitely got a, a judgment in our favor. And I think, you know, like I said, it calls into question a, a whole lot of other ones that uh, uh, we can discuss further now, too. Yeah, we'll see what EPA's reaction is to this and how it may or may not impact future decisions on these small refinery exemptions. We're talking with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. Kevin, you're back from a trade mission along with the U.S. Grains Council. Tell us about it. Yeah, Mike, we, uh, we, we travel every year, uh, with a joint officer mission with the Grants Council and, and, uh, the Grants Council typically picks out, uh, an area of, of biggest concern or biggest, uh, uh, you know, market that, that uh, they want to go, um, and, and have a discussion with, uh, and, and really show, um, those customers, you know, how, how important they are to, uh, you know, to U.S. corn. And so when we get a chance to, uh, to partner with them on a mission like this, it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to see, uh, you know, the job the Grains Council is doing. And for us as, as corn growers, um, you know, to go there and thank some of our, our big partners as well. And so we went to, uh, Vietnam, um, and, and met with some, uh, uh, some large importers there. Uh, one of the ones I'll, I'll bring up is CP Industries and they're, uh, uh, the, the largest feed miller in the world, um, and they are huge in Southeast Asia. Uh, they actually it, it are the, probably the most integrated that you can get when it comes to um, agriculture. They own all the way from 
uh, from genetics, you know, in animals all the way, you know, through to the retail, uh, the complete processing side of animals. Uh, they own, you know, seed development, um, everything. A very impressive company in general, and and they actually own the 7-Eleven stores. So uh, met with those folks. Certainly a big customer, and uh, some people that uh, uh, we've worked with. You know, the Grains Council, especially, has worked with for a long time. Um, in fact, one of our uh, employees overseas there uh, with the Grains Council has, has, was a previous uh, CP um, employee. So great company. Um, one of the people that we met with, you know, one of the groups that we met with there was a you know, very important meeting and, and uh, it just really interesting to have your eyes open to how, how uh, big and how, uh, how impressive some of these companies are that are, that are not too far away. Um, the ag world's pretty small, but uh, um, also had a chance to meet with the ambassador for Vietnam, um, had good conversations with him about the potential uh, and the future of that market and what, you know, where it's been. It's, it's an amazing economy from where it's been just in the last 15 years. And so uh, it's quickly and grow, growing fast there in Vietnam. It's number three importer of DDGs. Uh, it's number six, uh, six or seven, depending on whether or not how you view the uh, the old Soviet Union countries, um, six or seven in direct corn imports and and uh, an emerging market for ethanol. So that's why we were there and uh, why we were talking with uh, a lot of their energy companies as well as uh, their their feed millers and and people like that. And certainly thanking them for uh, importing U.S. corn and dry distillers and, and and ethanol as well. That part of the world in general, Vietnam in particular, a lot of uh, potential there for market growth for U.S. producers. There really is, and um, you know, and I think Vietnam is—it's uh, in a position to continue to grow, which is uh, certainly uh, you know a valuable uh, spot for us to be in and, and be engaged in those markets. You know, in, in Myanmar, the other uh, you know second portion of the trip that we were on—that's that's one of those countries that uh, that the Grains Council received ATP funding, which is basically funding that goes uh, to you know to really research a market and figure out how um, you know how that can play in in the future for uh, for U.S. corn exports in this case. Um, and, and that's why we were there to talk to those folks, met with a bunch of feed millers there as well, and talk about an emerging, you know, an emerging market. That one is, uh, you know, how they viewed it is about 10 to 15 years uh, prior to where Vietnam is at now. And um, I think it might even be faster than that. I think you could see changes that uh, that were quickly being made and, and newer feed mills happening. But but also at the same time, you know, you got a long ways to go. We saw a lot of very primitive um, primitive practices, whether it's through the transportation, you know, all in, in bagged feed and, and bagged commodities coming in, uh, as well as going back out to the farms and and uh, just a lot of uh, you know long ways to go. Whereas you know in Vietnam. Uh, one of the feed mills that, that we visited was completely state-of-the-art and, and just like anything you'd see here in the U.S. And so I think, um, you know, it's eye-opening to see how quickly these things are changing overseas and and, uh, and, and really how quickly the, the industries can build themselves out uh, and really taking a page from very advanced, you know, advanced economies like our own. We're talking with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, Yes, it is uh, the signing of uh, USMCA. I don't. Is this a celebration or a sigh of relief, or I guess maybe both? Yeah, a little bit of all of the above on that, but uh, definitely, you know, definitely something that that uh, we're glad to have behind us here. Again, um, we've been pushing for for USMCA to get done for for quite some time, and and um, you know, really when these negotiations got going, um, 
you know, got going. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch before, Mike, but had the uncertainty in the marketplace at that time. Uh, and, and it's, I think it's been a little, you know, a little while now that the uncertainty's kind of been gone. We knew the negotiations were going well um, and knew things were going to happen and that, you know, that we weren't going to pull out of uh, NAFTA, things like that. But this is just something that um, it needed done. Uh, it was an old agreement. There are there are pieces that update uh, a lot of different different things, whether it's biotech or phytosanitary or uh, or other regulations uh, within the agreement that um, that make a lot of sense to have fixed. And you know we're glad to, like you say, this sigh of relief. We're just glad to have this one behind us, and and uh, we're certainly going to celebrate it. Um, the the you know three big trade agreements getting done here in the last few months with the first phase one of Japan, the phase one of China, and then and then USMCA getting completely done. So uh, all good things and, and good things for agriculture. And a new WOTUS rule. And a new WOTUS rule. Yeah, I know. It feels like we're knocking off some some uh, good ones here. I, I don't think I'm going to be out of a uh, out of things to do, but. Uh, um, Definitely uh, another one that uh, we've been working hard on, as well as a lot of other commodity groups, to say that uh, uh, you know we thought it was a, a far overreach of regulation, and, and um, you know we're concerned about the long-term implications of what of what that could mean. And so, uh, yeah, this is uh, uh, they're they're knocking off some good things for us, some pieces that needed to happen, um, and certainly. Uh, glad to glad to celebrate those as well as uh, you know now we can move on to the next next pieces that will affect farmers. There's still a lot of work to do on WOTUS because there'll be legal challenges ahead on this new rule. You know, there's always legal challenges. It seems, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tell you, it uh, it's it's one of the things that uh, I think we can um, you know always expect is that uh, somebody's not going to agree with you and they're going to try to find a way to. Uh, you know, the challenges in the courts. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why I guess we're here, you know, at, at NCGA that's, we've got, uh, we've got resources that, um, uh, you know, we can deal with, uh, with these legal challenges and partner with our other organizations. And, um, you know, one of the many reasons that, uh, uh, that, that I think membership makes sense for, for organizations like ours, because, um, you know, I'm not going to join a suit like that as a, as a farmer myself. But I can tell you that it's something we're engaged on at these levels every day, and it, we need to be. Um, you got to be engaging on these things, and people are going to challenge them. Um, lawsuits happen, and, and uh, we've got to go out there and win them. Well, so you've won uh, uh, some here on the SRE, and that's still the big issue, isn't it? I mean, when we look at the boxes being checked off by the administration, there's still that uh, RFS SRE issue that needs to be resolved. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, uh, you know, I think we're on the the tail end of things there. This uh, this this lawsuit certainly, uh, uh, you know, gives us a a little more life into into that discussion. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, we want to make sure as many gallons of ethanol are blended in the nation's fuel supply as possible, and uh, uh, that's what we're going to continue to work on. We've got uh, uh, certainly some wins with E15 this year as well, and and uh, moving that forward, but. Um, yeah, the RFS and its importance to us is uh, is no uh, no secret by any means, and and uh, we're not going to back down from that a, at all. But uh, uh, continuing to move forward, um, you know, we're going to we're going to look at uh, look at new ways to to blend bigger uh, you know bigger amounts of ethanol in the nation's fuel supply, and and uh, hopefully looking at higher octane and low carbon things to move ahead too. All right, Kevin, get some rest. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. 
Take care. Kevin Ross from Iowa, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Up next, reaction from the pork industry to the new WOTUS rule. Stay with us on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we continue to get reaction to the new WOTUS rule. Joining us now is Michael Formica. He is Assistant Vice, Assistant Vice President for Domestic Affairs and Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, what is the reaction of the pork industry? Why is this uh, such an improvement, this new rule, over the controversial 2015 rule? Thanks for having me on. Uh, we are thrilled about this. It's been a long, hard fight to try and get a rule in place, uh, going back uh, you know, at least a decade uh, to try and get a rule in place that clarifies what the what the boundaries of the federal government's jurisdiction is and protects the right of farmers to farm their private property. And that's been a big that's been a big issue. Was an issue coming out of the Obama administration where um, the Obama EPA had developed a rule that regulated not just farm ditches. Um, and this is getting lost in a lot of conversations here. The Obama rule said they had jurisdiction over the water in your ditches, but also that land adjacent to the water, uh, adjacent to your ditch. And so that land is your farmland, um, meaning you need to get a permit, to, to plant uh, to plant a seed, you need to get a permit to apply pesticides, to apply fertilizer, uh, to apply manure. Uh, potentially needed to get a permit, and it opens you up to a lot of activist litigation and activist attacks. So, the rule that EPA came out with, that the Trump administration came out with now last week, um, clarifies that your land is never going to be regulated, your ditches, your your grass waterways are not going to be considered. Uh, waters of the United States. Uh, they are yours to do with, if you please. They can be regulated by the state. They can be regulated by your local government, but they're not going to be regulated by the federal government. Michael, uh, the question as it as this rule faces legal challenges, uh, what are your thoughts on, and I guess we don't know to a court rules, but uh, to me the big question is, will the new rule be allowed to go into and stay in place while the legal challenges are going on, or will the courts uh, put a stay on it and uh, it it won't go into effect until they make a final ruling? How how do you see that playing out? That's a you know that's that's great observation. Uh, as you said, it will be difficult to tell until um, we we see what what the first court does. There have been um, a number of challenges filed by. Um, by animal rights groups, by uh, environmental activists, against the Trump administration's efforts simply to pull back the prior rule. Um, of course, uh, NPPC, along with Farm Bureau and others, we had challenged the rule that came out in the Obama administration, and we had two courts that overturned that rule. Um, there was a Supreme Court case recently that said all of these challenges need to be heard at the district court level, not at the appeals court level, which means um, that there's going to be that there's going to be dozens of lawsuits. Um, only, to, only time will tell how that turns out. Um, 
I, I, my sense is that the rule that came out will uh, stand a good chance of ultimately prevailing because it does follow closely what the Clean Water Act says in its text, as well as what the Supreme Court has been saying for a number of decades. Um, but again, you know, in the, the between now and then, uh, we're we're likely to have a number of courts um, looking at this and looking at this uh, uniquely uh, based on the conditions in in each state. What do you say to those who claim this new rule weakens protection of our of our water that uh, it allows for more pollution? How, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I would say that all you know, that, that 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 argument's really false that I that I've seen when the Obama administration was coming out with their rule. We kept asking them why are they trying to expand jurisdiction so much? Show us a single instance anywhere in the country where there was a there there was a spill or there was a discharge that the authority and the jurisdiction did not exist to enforce against that bad actor, that individual. And they were unable to do it because the fact remains um, the federal government's authority over navigable waters, over waters that that um, uh, are tributaries to navigable waters, which are what the Clean Water Act covers, is remains pretty broad. And you still have a lot of state laws. Every state's got their own version of the Clean Water Act. They've got some water protection law out there. And if you have, you know, if you have a, a factory with a pipe that's discharging, that's very clearly already covered by the Clean Water Act. Um, the the concerns that are being, you know, raised, they 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 just they just don't hold up. So you feel pretty good about uh, this rule being able to withstand these legal challenges. Uh, we 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 feel pretty confident that it, at the end of the day uh, that it's going to withstand. Uh, um, the challenges, but as I said, uh, it will it will be interesting to see what that process is from here to there. And in the meantime, if they if if there is a court that would stay this rule, then we would just go back to the status quo, um, which nobody was happy with um, that existed prior to the Obama administration. That's in effect actually today, and you know, water is uh, our water is being fairly protected now. And you've got a pretty good coalition. It's just not agriculture pushing for this. A lot of others are too. This impacts, um, you know, not just agriculture. Impacts manufacturing, um, National Association of Manufacturing, U.S. Chamber of Commerce is in our coalition. Um, folks who run. We've got county governments. We've got municipal governments. We've got people who manage highways. People who build homes. Um, Golf course, you know, golf course owners, um, landscape architects. Yeah, that's quite a coalition, and uh, we now watch and see how it proceeds uh, through the the legal process. Good to talk with you again, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye bye. Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs and Council for the National Pork Producers Council. Well, that does it for today. Tomorrow, much more on this court ruling on the small refinery exemptions, what it means moving forward. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.